open your Bibles today, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're moving right along in our study of 1 Corinthians. And today we're going to find out one of the real advantages of expository preaching. You just have to take the scriptures like they come. We've covered a lot of tough, tough uh, subjects in the past few weeks, but I suppose that there's nothing tougher for me to speak on than what I'm going to talk to you about today. I normally wouldn't even talk about these things, but uh, God has intended for us to learn something. He has this in his word. And today we're going to talk about marriage counseling by the Apostle Paul. Now, some of you uh, may like to watch Dr. Phil, and you might get your marriage counseling from him. But I would encourage you to go to Dr. Paul, go to the scriptures and find out what the scriptures have to say because you'll find a lot better things for your life from him than you will anywhere else. I'm not a marriage expert. Ask my wife, she knows that. I'm not a marriage expert and I'm glad that Paul is. So today we're going to talk a little bit about marriage. And uh, you may have noticed that when you get married that things change a little bit. When you first get married, you know you're, you really just want to do everything that you can for your mate. I mean, you're all into that. Uh, you feel so close to the one that you've married. But after you've been married for a while, things start to change. You men know that. Uh, when you first got married, you just rushed right around there and opened the car door for your wife as she got in. And now you start the car and you're halfway down the block when she's got one leg hanging out the door. <laughs> so you don't do that. Uh, I heard this little story about how a husband reacts to a wife's cold after they've been married for about seven years. I want to read this to you. It says, the first year when she gets a cold, the husband says, Sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle, and there's a lot of that going around. So I'm going to put you into the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food is terrible in the hospital, but I'll bring your meals to you from the restaurant. I've already got it prearranged with the floor superintendent. The second year she gets a cold, he says, I don't like the sound of that cough. I'm going to call Dr. Miller and have him rush over here. Now you go to bed like a good girl for me. Third year she gets a cold. Maybe you better lie down, honey. There's nothing like a good rest. How about some canned soup? I'll I'll warm that up for you. The fourth year. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you've cooked supper and you've got the dishes done, why don't you sit down and take it easy? Fifth year, why don't you take a couple of aspirin? Sixth year, I wish you'd just gargle or something instead of sitting around all night barking like a seal. Seventh year that she gets a cold. For Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to give me pneumonia from all of your germs? So you see, things change a lot when you've been married for a while. Well, Dr. Paul has some good advice for us about marriage today, so we're going to read about this and study it. So let's stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. We're looking at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning with verse number 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, 
that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say therefore to the married and the widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the reading of your word today. And Lord, we pray as we uh, deal with this subject that we don't often speak about, uh, different things that we may not be comfortable even at times talking about. I just pray, Lord, you'd open our hearts to your word. Help us to understand better what you'd have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What we're reading about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is what I would like to call Dr. Paul's Sunday morning forum class. If you don't come on uh, Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, I encourage you to do that because in that Sunday school hour, we have a time where we have an open forum where we discuss different issues of God's Word. And I have no doubt that uh, in the next three messages that I'm going to preach that we'll probably have a lot of fodder for a Sunday morning forum class. But this is what we can call uh, Paul's Sunday morning forum, because what he's actually doing here in chapter 7 is responding to some questions that were asked him uh, by the Corinthians. Now, evidently, the Corinthians had written him a letter in which they asked him certain questions about marriage, and they were wondering about the propriety of the marriage relationship. And you'll notice here in verse number 1 that he says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. So he's talking about things that they have written to him. And the next phrase that we have in this uh, first verse really should be put in quotation marks because most people believe that this next phrase is actually something that the Corinthians said to him. And so he's responding uh, to their statement. So he's responding to this statement, it is good for a woman, or for a man rather, not to touch a woman. And what they mean by that, it's good for a man not to enter into a physical relationship with a woman. And, of course, what he's talking about there, it's wrong for a person to marry. Or they're asking, is it wrong for a person to marry? So they're asking Dr. Paul here some questions about marriage. And if you didn't understand that, then you could read that first, verses, first verse of 1 Corinthians 7, and you would think that, well, Paul is taking a position against marriage. But Paul's not doing that at all. He's just responding to their questions. Well, to understand why they asked the question... We have to have a little bit of background information about what's going on here in Corinth. So they ask a question, is it all right to marry? So to understand that, we have to consider, first of all, that there was a controversy concerning immorality. There are questions here because there's this great controversy concerning immorality that's going on in Corinth. In Corinth, there was an extreme amount of sexual immorality. We've talked about that in previous sermons, and we've learned what a terrible place that Corinth was. Corinth was the center of the uh, worship of the goddess Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of fertility. And one of the things that these ancient people used to do is that when they couldn't understand things, they began to worship things they didn't understand. And one of the things they didn't understand was the process of reproduction. 
They couldn't understand how that a man and a woman could come together, they would have relations and then have a child, and they didn't understand what exactly was taking place within the body. And so they began, rather than to worship the God who gave the process of us having children of reproduction, they began to worship the process itself. They didn't understand it. And so there in Corinth, in this great temple of Aphrodite, they actually provided male and female prostitutes that the people would come in and when they would worship, they would have relations with those prostitutes. Well, when Paul came into Corinth, of course he began to teach against that. He preached against all those uh, pagan practices. And when he did, he had to deal with the issue of some people became very mixed up over about what he was saying. Christians, people were getting saved, and so now they get mixed up over the issue of physical intimacy within marriage. And so they're asking a question. Are marriage relationships or marriage or relations in marriage, is that something that is prohibited? Well, there are actually two wrong views that were taking place in Corinth. Now, as we talk about these today, I want you to be sure to write down on your listening sheet somewhere that these are wrong views, because you might come back to this and, and look at the statements that I'm going to make, and you're going to think, well, well, what, what did that mean? I mean, are these things actually wrong? Well, these are wrong views that I'm giving you, first of all. And the first one is, what, do, what we do physically does not affect us spiritually. Now understand, that is a wrong statement. That's wrong. What we do physically does not affect us spiritually. And so there were some who came out of that uh, pagan background, and they said this. Well, well, all of my adult life, I've been going to the temple of Aphrodite. I've been practicing uh, the, these relationships with these we prostitutes that are in the temple. But now I have become a Christian. Well, it's okay if I continue to do that, because that was just a physical relationship. Uh, having that relation, that's just a physical thing. But what I do in my worship to God, that's purely spiritual. So what they were trying to do was to divide those two aspects. And they were saying, it's all right to, what, to do what you want to do physically, just as long as you worship God spiritually. And Dr. Paul tells them, well, that's absolutely wrong. And that's why in chapter 6 that he wrote that when a man joins himself to a prostitute, that he's committing a sin against his body. Now, if you'll just glance up there into chapter 6 and verse number 16, he says, What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And what Paul is saying there is you can't separate your body from your spirit and your soul. And so to go outside of the marriage relationship and for a person to enter into any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, that's wrong. And that's a sin against your body. And so some of them were saying, well, just as long as I love Jesus, just as long as I pray and I act spiritual, then I can do anything physical that I want. And we think about that. Well, that's a strange statement, I mean, for them to think such a thing. But is that mindset around today? I mean, do we see the same thing happening today? Well, we do, in fact. Uh, There are a lot of people today, and I promise you, there are a lot of people today who think that they can do anything they want to do during the week. As long as I go to church on Sunday, as long as I ask God to forgive me, and as long as I love Jesus, then I can do anything that I want. All over This city today, all over this area, there are people that go to church today, and I promise you, they're going to climb into a little booth, 
and they'll whisper into the ear of the priest all of the sins that they've committed this week, and they'll ask that priest for forgiveness. And you know what the priest will do? He'll give them some Hail Marys to say. He'll give them some Our Fathers and, and tell them to finger the rosary beads, and then everything will be hunky-dory again. Your sins are forgiven. So do whatever you want to do physically. Just make sure that you get to the church on time. And that's what a lot of people think. Well, we look at that and we say, well, that that doesn't sound right at all. And yet, do you know that there are people in our Baptist churches that practice the very same thing? We don't have a booth set up here where, where you come and you whisper into my ear and tell me all the sins that you've committed this week. But there are plenty of Christians who come to church on Sunday and all week long, they've lived in all different kinds of sexual immorality. They've committed all these different kinds of sins. They do everything that they want to do and they come to church and they sit in the pew and they say, oh, how I love Jesus. And they sing the songs, oh, how I love Jesus. And they think that things are just fine with them. I can do whatever I want to do physically, just as long as I tell people I love Jesus, because that is a spiritual matter. Well, folks, if you believe that, if you think that way, that is a lie right out of the pit of hell. That is not the truth. What you do physically does affect you spiritually. And do you know why? Because the Bible says that your body and your spirit belong to God. Both of them belong to God. Paul says there in chapter 6, you are bought with a price. The body, the soul, and the spirit are bought with the price. And the price, of course, is the blood of Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary. And so Paul says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So that's the first mistake that they made in Corinth. I can do whatever I want to do physically, and it does not affect me spiritually. But then there's another mistake that they made, and this mistake is way over on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. The second mistake is that sexual intimacy is wrong even in marriage. So some of them thought that it was wrong even to have relations with your spouse. And so that's why they asked the question, can a man touch a woman? Is sex in marriage so bad that a man can't even have relations with his wife? And so there are some that are going clear over to the other extreme. And they said, well, now that we're saved, uh, we're all into God. I mean, we're into the spiritual. And so we can't have physical relations, and physical relationships in marriage are wrong. But that's an idea that was just as far off as the other. Neither of these are right. You see, there are some of these Corinthians who, who thought that they would be more in touch with God if they went into some kind of a monastic type of lifestyle, if they gave up everything that was physical, get rid of everything that's in the physical environment. That's going to make me a better Christian. And so you have one side over here that says everything goes. You can do anything that you want to do. But then you have the other side that says nothing goes. There's nothing that you can do. So these people are actually missing the point. And that is that the Bible teaches that the physical and the spiritual are intertwined. And the Bible also teaches that marriage is right and proper. It is the right thing to do. Now, Hebrews says, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. But listen to the next part. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. The second part of that verse ties in exactly with what we're talking about in the second verse of 1 Corinthians 7. There Paul says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. 
And so the Bible is teaching us here that only within the framework of marriage is it right for people to have sexual relations. And so he says that one man is to have one wife, one wife is, or one woman is to have one man, and that's to be a, a totally monogamous relationship, and that is a relationship that's supposed to last for their entire lives. And so what the Bible is doing here, it's building this wall of protection around the act of sex in marriage. And do you understand something? That after all this time, in this free society that we're living in today, with all these people that want to live together and have their affairs and all that, that even secular, the secular world, secular sources have discovered that monogamy is absolutely the best thing for all people. And do you know why? It's because all of us have this sense that we need security. And people have found out that affairs and sex outside of marriage does not enhance a sexual experience. It doesn't enhance the enjoyment of it. And what it actually does, it leaves people on the inside empty. And they're still searching for the right kind of personal intimacy. So lifetime commitment. The Bible shows us very clearly that that is healthy and it's the most valuable thing you can do. It's better than a short-time affair. So what the Bible, or what people have found out, is what the Bible has been teaching us all along. The Bible is right on this question. Marriage is God's plan, and God's plan always works the best. Now, there's a second thing that Paul deals with in this forum on marriage counseling. And secondly, he's dealing with a challenge to husbands and wives. Dr. Paul is presenting a challenge here to husbands and wives about how they are to relate to one another. And we can read about that challenge in verses 3 through 5. He says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now what Paul is talking about in those verses is the issue of physical intimacy in marriage. Now there are four types of marriages that were taking place during the time of Paul. Uh, There were slave marriages, and that's where the owner of the slaves had to give his permission for two slaves to be married. And many times, those marriages would be broken up because one of the marriage persons in that marriage might be sold to another person. And so there were many Christians during the time of Paul that had to endure those kinds of marriage breakups. I mean, they were slaves. Many people got, uh, were slaves. They got saved. And so they had to endure those kinds of breakups. Then there were marriages in Paul's day that were arranged business marriages. When there was a, an advantage to be have, had in business that two people might get married. There were common law marriages. And that's where uh, two people would live together for at least a year. And then in the law, uh, eyes of the state, they would consider to be married. But the one type of marriage that we're most familiar with today are the marriages of nobility. And these are what are called patrician marriages. And we actually get most or many of the marriage customs that we practice today from these ancient customs that they had in Rome, from these patrician marriages. For instance, when when a father walks his daughter, the bride, down the aisle, that came from these old patrician marriages of Rome. 
Things like uh, exchanging rings with one another, reciting wedding vows to one another, and and, uh, having a wedding cake. All of that came from those patrician marriages. It might interest you to know that those things that we practice, the vows and and the rings and so forth, those aren't Christian in origin. Not that there's anything wrong with them, but they came from these ancient patrician marriages. Now, what Dr. Paul is telling us here, that it's very important, the relationship that a man and woman have in their marriage. They are to relate to one another correctly. And friends, I would tell you today that this is a very important issue for us in America. It's very important. We must keep marriage to a high standard. And that's because in in our country today, Satan is attacking our families. And he knows that if he can destroy the family, that that will weaken the church. And when you weaken the church, you'll have a weak country. And that's why we preach on things like this. It's why I'm bringing up the subject today. Is God wants us to have good, strong marriages within our church. And he wants us to uphold the sanctity of marriage. And that's why we warn our young people. And why we tell others this thing, this society that we live in today where where anybody can go into any kind of sexual thing they want to do, that's wrong. And it's going to destroy our families. And so the Bible teaches against it. Well, here, Paul is dealing with the issue of intimacy in the marriage. Now, most of you know this is not familiar territory for my Sunday morning sermons. Uh, This is not something that I would normally preach about. But I don't see anything in the Scriptures here that says, Now, hold up the red flag. Don't talk about that. That's taboo. You can't speak about these things in church. It's in the Bible. And so, as I said, in doing expository preaching, we just have to take what's in the Bible. So we're going to jump in head first, and we're going to talk about what Paul's saying here. Let me give you now three purposes for intimacy in marriage. Why do you need intimacy in your marriage? The first one is for emotional partnership. You need to remember that you are body, soul, and spirit. And in your marriage, your soul ought to reach out to the soul of your mate. You ought to be the friends in your marriage. As a matter of fact, you ought to be the very best of friends. There's an emotional attachment here. Way back in the Garden of Eden, when uh, Adam was created, God gave Adam dominion over the earth, and he told Adam to name all of the animals that were on the earth. And so Adam began to number them or to name them. And uh, he noticed that things as they came along here, that here comes Mr. Hippopotamus, And along with Mr. Hippopotamus comes Mrs. Hippopotamus. And along comes Mr. Crocodile. And shortly right behind him comes Mrs. Crocodile. Along comes Mr. Lizard. And here comes Mrs. Liz right behind him. And and Paul is, or rather, Adam looked at that and he's thinking, you know, there is something seriously wrong with this. Something is amiss here. And you know what the Bible says? There was no helpmeet for Adam. In other words, there was no one that was suitable to be Adam's companion. And so what God said, I'm going to take care of this problem for Adam. And of course, we all know the story of how God put Adam to sleep. He performed an operation on him. He took one of Adam's ribs. Adam apparently had a spare rib. And uh, he took that spare rib and God turned that into a prime rib. And when Adam woke up, standing in front of him was this beautiful woman. In the Hebrew language, the words of Adam when he saw Eve are an expletive. Now, they're, not a, they're a clean expletive, of course. But, but Adam said something like this. He said, now, oh boy. He says, this is wonderful. Then he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. 
And what he was saying there is this is someone who is made just like me. This is somebody that I can depend on. This is somebody that when I'm, when I'm weak, that she's strong. When I'm low, she'll be high. And he said, we just fit together so well emotionally. And that's one of the purposes of intimacy and marriage. There's that emotional attachment that a husband and wife have. And God wants you to have that. Now, most of us men, we, we haven't learned real well about intimacy and marriage. And we don't understand sometimes that that is an emotional thing, especially for a woman. It's an, a, an emotional experience. And you men know what I mean. I mean, you can get into an argument with your wife and you can just beat each other over the head practically. Then you catch her in the bedroom 10 minutes later and you wink at her. And she says, you're crazy, buddy. And that's, that's because of this emotional thing. She's not up for that. So you need to understand there's that emotional attachment between a man and a woman. Now, the second reason that you have intimacy in marriage is for physical pleasure. Is that biblical? I mean, should I even say that today? Is that a biblical principle? Yes, it is. And that's why he says every man should have his own wife and every woman should have her own husband. Then he says here that you are not to defraud one another. And what that means, you're not supposed to deprive one another. Your bodies belong to one another, and you're not to keep your body from your spouse. Paul Harvey told a story about a man who, who got two aspirins and a glass of water and took them to his wife, and she said, what's that for? I don't have a headache. And he said, that's all I want to hear. <laughs> you can explain that to your kids later, folks, but <clears throat> that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, don't withhold yourself from one another. God made the man and God made the woman. And he said, I want you to join together as one. But there's a problem here. Because this is the very area that people have really messed up. What should be the most joyful and loving expression between two people is the very thing that men have taken and they have drugged through the dirt. We have taken what should be innocent, what should be the most intimate connection between people, the men of the world have taken that and we have turned it into something tawdry and we've ruined what God wanted that to be and how it's to be enjoyed in a proper way. And that's why we have all this difficulty today. Worship to God is the most intimate way that you connect with God. And this physical intimacy, sex and marriage, is the way that you relate to one another. That is the most intimate connection that you can make with someone. So you have to have the emotional partnership, but then there's also the physical pleasure that's involved. But then there is a third purpose for physical intimacy. Purpose number three is for spiritual progress. Most people don't really see this. Most Christians don't. They never think about it. And so consequently, they never experience what Paul is talking about here. But an intimate relationship can actually lead to spiritual growth. And you might be surprised to find out how that's done. Now, look at verse number 5, because this is a very interesting verse, and a lot of people miss what it says here. There is a, only a specific time that a wife and a husband should withhold themselves from each other. He says, defraud ye not, or, or deprive not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. And so a wife and a husband may decide that for a spiritual need, for their spiritual good, that they may want to abstain from relations for a time. 
Now, we notice here in the Scripture, there's only two reasons that are given for this. One is for fasting, and the other is for prayer. And so, you, as a husband and wife, you may decide in order to concentrate more fully on what God wants you to do, or devote yourself more fully to the Lord, that you may decide that for a time, because you have a spiritual purpose in mind, that for a time, you may want to withhold yourself from your mate. But Paul says that can only be done by mutual consent. It can only be for an agreed period of time. And then when that time is over, you're supposed to come back together again. But notice what he says in the next verse, because this is very important. In verse 6 he says, But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. In other words, he's saying the Bible does not command that you have to do this. It's permitted that you do it, but the Bible doesn't command you to do it. So don't get the wrong idea. Don't think that because you decided to do this, perhaps, that now you are a more spiritual couple than anybody else in the church because you decided this. Now, if that's your expression, and if it's for a a spiritual need that you do it, that's all right. But the Bible does not command that there has to be these periods of, of abstention from physical intimacy. And so for you, that might be a good thing. It may result in spiritual progress for you. Now, that leads me then to the third consideration today. And this ties into that last thought that I've given you. And thirdly, as Paul talks about marriage, he gives us a correction concerning single adults. In Corinth, there are a lot of single adults, just like we have in America. And Paul talks to them as well. Now, remember, they're asking questions about marriage. They're confused about this. And now, they've dealt with the issue of, of, uh, is it necessary to abstain from sexual relations? But then what about those who do abstain and they choose to remain single? They've decided they don't want to get married. Well, Paul addresses this in verses 7 and 8. He says, For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath this proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows... It is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. As far as we know, Paul was a single man. Now, some question that. um, He was most likely a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and there was a requirement in order to be a part of that body that you had to be a married man. So what most people believe is that probably Paul's wife had died by the time that he writes this. So he was probably married at one time, but his wife had died. We don't know for sure, but he does tell these people, if you are single, it might be better for you to stay that way. Now, there are two important things that he says about this, and they need to be taken in their context. The first one is that singleness is a gift. It's a privilege and a gift that God has given to some people. Do you know that those of us are married, we we have trouble cluing in on that sometimes. We see a person who's not married and and we think, well, those poor single people, what's what's wrong here? And so we decide that we've got to be the matchmaker. And so we're going to hook people up all the time with somebody. Well, we're thinking, well, that poor single person, when in fact they not might be poor or single at all. The Bible doesn't tell us that it's abnormal for people to be married or is it abnormal for people to be single. And here's something that happens a lot and something we ought to be very careful about. I mean, we expect that people ought to be married. I mean, that's the culture. We think people ought to be married. And there are some people who say some things that are very hurtful 
that cause people to, uh, I mean, just very damaging to them. Because sometimes, you know, as, as married adults, we somebody, see somebody who's single, and you know what people say about them? Well, that person must be gay. There's something wrong with them. They must be gay because they're not married. Well, the truth of the matter is, maybe they haven't found somebody that they believe they ought to marry. And they believe that it's better for them to stay single than to be married to somebody they ought not to be married to. So it's better for you to remain unmarried than to be married to a person that God has not intended for you to marry. I firmly believe that God has a plan for his children. And if they decide to remain unmarried and that's God's plan for their life, that's fine. That's God's plan. God may have given them the gift to be single, and it's all right. And then it's all right, too, if later uh, they decide that now God's changed things and I need to get married. That's all right. Well, how do you know if you have the gift for being single? I think you know it this way. You, you learn to be content, and God gives you contentment in that singleness. So you accept that if that's a gift that comes from God. And folks, if somebody else is not married, don't think there's something wrong with them because they aren't married. Now, the second important thing that he teaches about singleness here is that singleness is a choice. In verse number 9, he makes a comment about physical passion. And he says, if you cannot contain yourself, then you should marry. And I think we all understand that. Uh, There are physical urges that people have and And it may be better to get married than to allow those kinds of urges to rule your life. And and finally, to have those things lead you away from God. But no person ever ought to get the idea that marriage is simply an outlet for sexual urges. It's not. And if a person gets married for that reason, they're going to find trouble in their marriage sooner or later. So why does Paul say here, this is a choice for you? Well, he says it because he relates it to himself... And he says that for me, I'm able to be totally focused on my work. I'm able to be totally focused on what God wants me to do. And I don't have to divide my time between family and all the family affairs. So Paul says that if you can remain in that same state as I, then that would be better for you. Because then you can focus all of your attention and all of your energy on what God wants you to do. And friends, there are a lot of single people that are some of the most fired-up Christians that you'll ever meet. They've decided to do this. Now, secondly, he says that this is a choice and not a command. He says, I have not commanded you to do this because when you force someone into celibacy, they end up repressing desires that can lead them into sin. And this is what we see today, I believe, in the Roman Catholic Church. They have an unscriptural precedent that their priests must remain celibate. And I think what that's done is led us into into all the the sins and the sexual uh, perversion of the magnitude that we've seen in our country today. So God has given some this grace to remain unmarried. But then there are others that God has definitely called that they're to live their lives in marriage. Now, what this goes back to then, and the really important thing I want everybody to understand today in the context of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is that marriage is a godly principle and marriage is holy in the Lord. And whether people are married or remain unmarried, everyone needs to understand that sexual intimacy is always reserved for the marriage relationship. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us when he talks about the body, he talks about the spirit. This is something that God has reserved only for marriages. 
And so what we learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that whatever subject that God speaks on, whatever subject the Bible teaches, it's always right, and it always gives us the very best advice for our lives. Now, let me finish the message today with this thought. And we're talking about Dr. Paul, the marriage counselor, and he teaches that there must be mutual dependence in the marriage relationship. So he teaches this, and this is your last statement today. When you pull together, you will make beautiful music. Now, what do I mean by that? And why would I use that illustration? Well, have you ever heard, how many of you ever heard the song, The Little Brown Church in the Vale? Some of you have heard that? Well, I'm surprised. I thought more of you would know that song. I've actually heard, I've heard there or actually is a church in Iowa that's called The Little Brown Church in the Vale. And at this church, they perform lots and lots of wedding ceremonies. And they have a tradition in this church that after the marriage ceremony, the bride is instructed to go out to a rope that's connected to a large bell on the steeple of the church, and it's connected to a lot of smaller bells. And she's instructed to go out there and to pull that rope and to ring the bells and to make the music. But when she goes out there, what she finds out is that the bell is too heavy and that the rope is too tight for her to pull alone. And so what they do then is they tell the man, they tell the husband after the marriage ceremony, you go out there and you help her ring that bell. And then with both of their strength, they're able to ring the bell and they make the music. And there's a sign in the vestibule of that church that says, remember, when you pull together, there will always be beautiful music. And I think this is what Paul is trying to teach us here. Husbands and wives in the church, you pull together and you can be sure that God will bless you. Get together, worship God in your church, bring your family to church, raise them in the church, be the kind of Christian and the kind of family that God wants you to be. You'll make beautiful music in the church and we'll have a strong church with strong families. And that's what Dr. Paul, the marriage counselor, has to say and his advice for marriage. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and although we've talked about a very unusual subject, yet it's one that's important for the church body, for families in our church to understand, Lord, how important this marriage relationship is. In your word, you tell us and you compare the the church to marriage, and and you show us how that Uh, Jesus Christ is the one that we are married to in this relationship. And we're always to be true to him and to worship him. And Lord, we just ask you that you would speak to your people today and help us to understand that in physical and spiritual matters, these things are so intertwined that all of our lives must be dedicated to you in every, every aspect in the way that we live. All has to be yours. Speak to our hearts today, Lord. And we give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's play.